Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video and uh, sometimes audio interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. At the moment, we got a brand-new issue up. I have my uh, conversation with debut author Elise Hooper, author of The Other Alcott. Wonderful conversation. She took an unusual path to her first novel. I love stories of how people come to novels. and She told it beautifully. It's all up there at authormagazine.org. And we're also funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association. Supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. You can learn more about the PNWA and their outstanding yearly writers conference at pnwa.org. That's pnwa.org. Well, tuned in for a good one, people. We are so pleased to have the one and only Gail Brandeis with us on the show. Gail is... uh, probably know her already, but she's the author of Fruitless or Fruit Flesh, excuse me, Seeds of Inspiration for Women Who Write, Dictionary Poems and the Novels, The Book of Dead Birds, Self Storage, and Delta Girls. And her first novel for young readers, My Life with the Lincolns, which I should point out won a Silver Nautilus Book Award and was chosen as a statewide read in Wisconsin. Uh, she is also the author of the new memoir, just released Boys and Girls one week ago today, The Art of Misdiagnosis, Surviving My Mother's Suicide. Her poetry, fiction, and essays have appeared in lots of magazines and anthologies, including Salon, The Rumpus, The Nation, The Mississippi Review, and she has received several literary awards, including QBPB, excuse me, QPB, Story Magazine Short Story Award, and I'm a little jealous. Notable essay in Best American Essays of 2016. She is also the editor-in-chief of the wonderful Teferit Journal and hosts the Teferit Talk, Teferit's live radio interview broadcast. And now she's here with us. Gail, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bill. I'm so delighted to be here. It's fun to be on the other side of the table with you. It is. I should point out to our listeners, if you didn't have a chance, I was on Gail's show uh, probably a couple months ago when Fearless Writing came out, and that was a great conversation, which is why I was so glad that I could have you on now to talk about your wonderful work. Actually, during that conversation, Gail, Thank I think you. we talked about this upcoming book, didn't we? I believe we did. We did. Or this book that's we out did. Now. We yeah. talked about it a bit, yes. Yeah. So but before we get to that book, let's just talk about you, okay? Can we just sure. talk about you a little bit? What? You talk, actually, interestingly, in the book, um, The Art of Misdiagnosis, you talk a little bit about your own creative life. Uh, you were, mm-hmm. you, how, can you remember sort of when you looked up and said, this writing thing is pretty cool. I think I'd like to do it regularly. <laughs> yeah, I do remember, actually. And I was very, very young. I started reading when I was three. And wow. my parents didn't know that I could read. Um, They would sit with the newspaper at the breakfast table and I would ask for the paper because, you know, they thought I was just modeling what they were doing. And um, uh, then one day I looked up and I said, did you know President Nixon has phlebitis? 
and phlebitis, well, and I haven't said, figured what? out the pH thing yet. Wow. <laughs> and, um, so they realized I could read, and they had been reading to me a lot, and the books were just something I loved, and reading was something I loved from a very, very young age. And I started writing poetry when I was four years old, and in fact, I still know my very I'd recite to you. It's very short, if you would like to hear it. I would love um, to I hear think it. Okay, it speaks to the creative process in a lot of ways. Um, now, how old were you when you wrote this little, poem? I was four. Oh, so okay. it was called Little, yeah, Little Wind, and just very short. Blow, little wind, blow the trees, little wind, blow the seas, little wind, blow me until I am free, little wind. And, you know, just a very simple little poem. Oh, but you wrote that I, at four? At four. And I think that there must have been some part of me that that sensed that writing was like that wind, that, that it yeah. kind of gusts through us and makes us feel more free inside. And I know that from the time I was very young, I have never felt more free or more brave than when I write. And it's yes. still that way for me. I was a really yeah. shy kid, and writing was the way to get, you know, what was inside of me out of me. And um, I'm just so grateful for writing. I think that my life would be very different. But, well, it Gail, me. It would, <laughs> your, your life, your life, this is what you were on the planet to do, in part, clearly. You came in just dialed in. For writing and I love that little poem I really do I love the wind and I think you're absolutely right that uh, and, I mean in the in the book in my book fearless writing I talk about the flow but you winds water mm-hmm. whatever you want there is something don't you feel well I feel the reason I like the word flow to describe it I'm not the only one but the reason I like it mm-hmm. is I feel like I'm wholly a part of something for which I am not wholly responsible does that make sense yes it makes perfect right? sense, and I love yeah. I love that experience. That experience in the writing itself just takes over, and I'm just along the ride. And it's such a, a liberating experience, and I find that that's often where you know the the most profound writing comes from. Now, I like that you're using the word liberating. This is interesting. And you talked about – how does the poem end again? Blow, little, blow the blow the, blow the, yeah, blow wind, the trees. I am see. free. Yeah. I'm free. Yeah. And you said to me, you never feel more courageous or more free when you're writing. Mm-hmm. Is that Sometimes right? Sometimes when I'm dancing, I feel that way too. Yeah. Ah, right. But, well, um, see, similar. Similar. But, Yes, yes. But what is it you're free from, do you think? What is it you feel free from? Um, I think I, think I know what it is. I'm, feeling... but I want to hear what you think you're free from. Okay. Um, free from self-consciousness, free yeah. from um, just, I don't know, just feeling like I have to live up to anyone else's expectations yes. or freedom. Yeah, um, yeah just... Um, you know, or thought patterns that I can get stuck in. It's it's a way of just feeling much more spacious inside. And, yeah, feeling free from fear, I think. Yeah. Writing, you know, this was a really scary book to write, The Art of the yeah, Diagnosis. Yeah, I'll bet it but was. It was. <laughs> but facing that fear, writing through that fear, 
did take me to just a much more, I'll keep using the word free place where, where I felt, I felt like I had said what I needed to say. And I felt as if I, something inside of my heart had unclenched and I, you know, I'm so grateful for that. that You know, I think it's great. What the way you describe that free, free from self-consciousness, free from the sort of thoughts that, because I always think of writing as it took me a while to understand where my suffering and struggle around writing lay and it all lay from me thinking Mm -hmm. about what people thought about what I was writing you know that sort of awareness Mm -hmm. that people were going to read it and what would other people think and all that and that feeling of freedom of getting into the flow of being blown by that creative wind to me is the forgetting Mm -hmm. to care what people think and just hearing the thing and you are and that is for me that is freedom that it's really freedom yeah. from you know. It's really freedom from external measurements, external mm-hmm. the external world. That there's somehow that you can be measured, and your value somehow lies outside of your own consciousness, mm-hmm. your own. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's definitely freedom from that, and I think it's also you know the more I think about it, freedom from self-imposed limitations as well. Just like oh, for me, yes. like telling myself things that I could never talk about like oh I could never give voice to this secret thing inside of me but then when I do when I let myself go there it just it creates so much great new space within me and I think you know we can write our way right out of shame we can write our way out of embarrassment because You know, ultimately, when we share our stories, I think it helps people connect with us on a more human, honest level. And maybe it helps people to, um, you know, let go of their own shame for their own stories if they feel less alone and see their stories reflected. I think that telling stories can be so... um, (laughs) I keep using the word liberating, but just a way of breaking through shame, a way of breaking through these silences that we hold inside ourselves. Absolutely, because I think shame is just a story about the past. It's a story about the past. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of memoirists, mm-hmm. clients, and students, and it's helping them, you know, you can't change what happened in the past, but you can certainly change the story you tell about it. And, and for me, all yeah. my pain and all my shame was not what happened, but the story I told about what happened. That's where the pain mm-hmm. was. That's yeah. where the shame was. And to be allow and to allow yourself to change that story, um, mm-hmm. you have to go back and face and face what happened, but with the courage to not to not see to not judge yourself for whatever you believed, yeah. whatever you did. You can't judge yourself. Yeah, and I I found that as I wrote, I developed so much more compassion for myself. You know, one of the greatest uh, gifts was working my way through my anger toward my mom into compassion for my mom, but I also found that I was writing my way into self-compassion as well and being less judgmental about myself. Well, so let's talk about this book because you, you, so interestingly, this is your first full book length memoir, obviously, um, uh, but you have fiction background and essays and poetry, uh, but now Mm -hmm. you approach the memoir, um, 
I should say, first of all, it's a story about, obviously, it's your mother's suicide, but your mother was a, you had a very troubled relationship with her, to say the least. Certainly, uh, as yeah, she got older. Yeah, we had a older. complicated a relationship. Person. Yeah, yeah. Um, which you chronicle beautifully and very honestly in the book. Um, Thank you. So, talk to me about what, first of all, why a memoir? You're a novelist. Why write it? Why not just take mm-hmm. the experience and, and and turn it into a metaphor? Why straight-up memoir? I knew I needed to do it for my own healing. Writing is really how I make sense of things. Um, yeah. I often, you know, don't really know how I feel about something until I start writing. And yeah. um, one of the threads of the book is this letter that I write to my mother, and it was actually recommended to me by a therapist at this time who thought that if I wrote a letter to my mother, it would help me just come to a greater sense of clarity, maybe just, you know, say things that needed to be said. And it was such a useful tool to write directly to her. So that became part of the book. Initially, I was just writing it for myself. I really didn't Mm -hmm. keep up things in the book. I was writing a kind of present tense narration around the time of her suicide just so I could capture that time. I wanted to be able to remember that time, which was so charged, because I had just given birth a week before she took her own life. And so there was all, you know, birth and death and just so much happening simultaneously. And I wanted to remember that. And so I was capturing that. But I was also writing this letter off to the side. And at some point I realized, oh, if I thread this this letter (laughs) through the book, it could be a way of providing context for what's happening in that time around my mom's death because since that that time period was written in a present tense narration and it's very immediate there isn't that kind of chance for for a deeper reflection and hearkening back to our past letter allowed me to do that and you know just share more of our history together within the story so you kind of um, uh Stumbled your way into it almost. It was it was kind of an act. It wasn't a. You didn't go and saying now I've got to write this memoir. It just sort of grew organically. It sounds like it did grow organically. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then at some point I realized that I should incorporate my mom's documentary into the text, which I wasn't planning to do originally. And the title, you know, um, comes the art of misdiagnosis was the name of a documentary that she was putting yeah. together at the time of her death. And I stole the title because I knew it could work on so many different levels as I explored her story, the fact that her mental illness was never diagnosed. And it just, it works on so many different levels in our our story together. But it took a while for me to consider adding the film because I wasn't really ready to watch my mom's film because she was in it and yeah. I wasn't really ready to hear her voice or see her moving around. But then yeah. I was invited to this weekend writing retreat and I brought the document. You know, I'll have time. I won't have to worry about parenting or anything like that. Maybe, yeah. maybe it'll feel like the right time to watch this documentary. And as soon as I started writing it, I realized that I needed to transcribe it and weave it into the memoir as a way of allowing my mom to speak for herself within the text without the mediation of, you know, my lens. And right. um, so 
Wow. So this is, I love the voice of the piece, and I don't often do this, but would you be open to reading a short excerpt from the book? Because I think it has a very particular voice to it. It's very honest. It's very sort of a little raw almost, I think, but I think it works for the book. Would you be willing to do that? Okay. Yeah, is two pages okay? I I think that'll work, yeah. Yeah, I think that'll that'll be sufficient. This segment takes place um, just for my mom's memorial. Um, It's, I would say, about a week after her death. And some relatives are coming into town. We had a very small memorial, but um, uh, this is taking place in the hotel where some family members are staying um, when they came in to remember my mom. And the names in here, Elizabeth is my sister and Asher is my baby. We walk down the hallway. Just ahead of me, Elizabeth has birth and death in her hands. In her right, my baby Asher ensconced in his car seat. In her left, our mom's ashes in the silver bag from Oceanside Mortuary. The bag looks like something from a high-end department store, Nordstrom's maybe. The paper thick and gleaming, letters elegant and white. Our mom would approve. She always aspired to luxury. It makes sense she would even after death. Only the best for her chips of bone. Asher. Ashes. The patterned jewel tone carpet makes light shoot dizzy inside my eyes. Elizabeth looks like the incarnation of Lady Justice as she walks ahead of me, or Lady Libra, birth and death balanced evenly on her scales. Asher. Ashes. Ashes. Asher. She stands tall, arms strong as she walks forward, bearing their equal weight. I don't feel nearly as graceful myself. I am stumbling down the hall, holding a diaper bag, a purse of flimsy necessities, straps digging into my shoulders, leaking milk and blood. I'm leaking and stumbling while my sister holds her head high between life's outermost poles, a steady pole herself. A fulcrum between two worlds, Asher, Ashes. The owls on Asher's car seat are turquoise and orange and brown. His baby contraptions are way cuter than any available when my older kids were little. It suddenly strikes me as funny that baby things are designed to be cute. I've come to realize over the past couple of days that newborns are terrifying. Asher is sweet and beautiful and fresh as a flower, but he's also terrifying. A wild animal, all hunger, no reason. We try to soften it up with owls, but there it is. The dark and glittering abyss in his tiny open mouth. Asher, ashes, just one letter apart, R and S, letters that sit next to each other in the alphabet even. So little separating the two words, the two poles. Asher, ashes, just one breath apart. When my oldest son, Aaron, was born 19 years ago, I cried and cried knowing he would die someday, not able to bear the fact I had brought this beautiful life into the world, and one day he would be gone. My husband, Matt, forced me to wrap my hand around the baby's limbs. This is his arm, he told me. This is his leg. This is real. He's here, alive, now. And I held those pulsing limbs in my hand and tried not to think of them vanishing. Asher to ashes. I can't bear that thought now either. Asher, 
Ash is. Later, my sister will tell me that as she held, held ashes in the hallway, she felt a bright current pass through both her arms, a pulsing, a vibration so strong she could barely hold on to the two charged things. She had to stand straight to hold herself together, life and death coursing wild and hot through her body. But now I just see her standing tall, holding all of it with grace, as I stumble, stumble, stumble in her wake, leaking blood and milk, my own edges blurry. Asher, ashes, asher, ashes, dust to dust to dust. Very nice. Gail, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm listening to that, and uh, I love what you found in that. And all I could think about um, is this quote from Eckhart Tolle, who said, the opposite of life, death isn't the opposite of life, death is the opposite of birth. There is Mm. no opposite of life. And, Mm. um, you know, life is. Birth and death are some actions that occur within it. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think it's a great quote. It was a great passage you read for this show, because I do think to some degree Writing is birth. I, yes. I always think of it as a birth. But you, I always feel like hovering over it is any question. The question of what death is or isn't, I think, hovers over every writer, whether you're writing murder mysteries or memoirs about your mother's mm-hmm. suicide. The question of what is that? Mm-hmm. What is that end? I think yes. I think it, it I think it it works its way into children's books, into every poem. Mm-hmm. Uh even that little poem you read from when you were four. I think it, it it's just saying the word free. What do you think? What do you think of that? Is that yeah, do you think it's true? I, I agree. And I think that in a lot of ways writing is it's like a protest against death and a protest against <laughs> silence in a way. Of yeah. the you know, 'cause we are only here for such a short time, and yeah. I think writing is such a way of asserting our aliveness, of giving meaning to our aliveness, and, um, yeah, bearing witness to it, and, yeah, I think, and so the awareness of death charges all of that so much and gives it all the more meaning. Um certainly makes me want to grapple with what it means to be alive and to celebrate being alive. You know, I think awareness of death can help us appreciate our aliveness all the more. Well, and do you know cancer is is a disease of cells that refuse to die, that should be dying but Mm. won't die? Without death, it's like every story has to have an end. If there's no, even though Mm -hmm. life goes on and on and on and on and on, a story you must accept that the story has to end. You know, you have to finish a book and do a new one. Mm-hmm. And I yes. always feel like that when I, that sometimes people's, some clients I have, I don't know if you teach a lot, but some of the students I I've worked with, their fear of ending books, I feel like is a fear of death to some degree. Oh, it's interesting. Of, that makes sense. Of letting it yeah. just end, you know, mm-hmm. on to the mm-hmm. next thing. On to the next thing. Well, yeah. So let me ask you, so and, that was beautiful. So mm-hmm. how is it, you know the issue of suicide, and I and just a woman's life and your life, a mother and daughter's. There's so much in here that is universal. Um, how you've begun? You just we were talking. You just came back from the first leg of your book tour. How mm-hmm. has it been talking to folks about this? Very personal. I mean, you've you've gone out as a novelist and as a poet, 
This is the first time it's in mm-hmm. memoirs. How's that been? It feels. How does it feel? Oh, no. She just dropped. But you know what, people? We just lost her. But do not, do not worry. We're going to get her back because, because we can. So if you can just, everybody, just hold tight. Hold tight. I'm calling her back. Don't be afraid. She's up in the Hello? hills of... No, hello, you're back. I'm back. Oh, no, did I, I didn't realize it dropped. It oh, dropped. Gosh. So, and what happened was I what asked was you, I how saying was it? What was I when it dropped? Well, yeah. what you said, it's been great, and then you disappeared. And I thought, oh, oh God, no. maybe it wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been, it's been powerful. It's been... Um, yeah. It's been very emotional, and I found myself crying at times when I wasn't expecting to, and then being okay at times when I thought I would break down, (laughs) and I I actually had a bit of a panic attack, which I don't often have, um, Mm. just as the emotion caught up with me, not not during an event, but just as I was sitting in my hotel room, and um, so a lot has been stirred up, certainly, but it's also been wonderful, because I've been connecting with people who have similar stories or, you know, just if not similar, they can resonate with with this story. And so being able to talk to people about their own stories has been so powerful. And the tour happened to coincide with um, Saturday was the International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. And so there were these survivor events all over the place. And so I found one in Seattle. I happened to be in Seattle that morning. And so I went to this event, and it was the first time I had been in a room full of suicide loss survivors. I have several friends who have lost loved ones to suicide, and I've had you know, deep conversations with them, but I've never been surrounded by a room full of people who've shared a similar loss. And wow. it was so incredibly profound. And just, you know, another wonderful reminder of how important it is to share our stories, how in sharing our stories we can feel less alone. And I've received emails already from readers who say that they feel less alone having read my book or they feel that now they have permission to tell their story. And that means so much to me because I know other writers gave me that permission to to tell my own story. And so it's it's been it's been intense it's been um a powerful powerful experience um but i would say you know even with the emotional stuff you know that's that's been good it's been it's been necessary that's just that's just the release of energy that you had sort of kept bottled up it's just the release mm-hmm. i mean i mean there's such there's such intensity in this book, and I think these moments when we're getting ready to share it. Because here's the thing, Gail: when we sh- sharing it is exactly mm-hmm. the right word, because it ain't yours anymore. You know, not. I mean, right. the experience the experience with your mom is yours. The experience of writing the book is yours, but that book isn't yours anymore. It now belongs to yes. everybody who reads it, and they and their story. And isn't it? Because uh, I talk, I always give talks, and I tell stories about me. And let me tell you about Bill. I tell you stories about Bill. And the first thing people do when I'm done talking about me is to come and tell me their stories. And I realize that mm-hmm. I'm just freeing them up to think about themselves. Yeah. So your st- yes. and that's what I did. I thought the same thing reading your book. I was thinking about myself. I was thinking about just my life. And 
death and mm-hmm. creativity. So you see, it, it, and so, but you're having to give it away. It's it's such and of all the things. To, I think it's a great thing to give away. But thank you. And doesn't, yeah, doesn't surprise me. Go ahead. Yeah, I just you know I, the book the term book release feels different. <laughs> it truly does feel like I'm releasing my story. That you know, yeah. it is still my story, of course. But like you said, everyone who picks it up, it's going to be their story. It's, it's, you know, they'll bring their own experience to the page, and yeah. so what what their experience of the book will be will be different from my own, and it will be theirs. And I, you know, I've let go of it way, and it, it has felt like this very deep release in my heart to put it out in the world. That's great. That's great. Nothing like the cleansing power of light on these dark stories. Mm-hmm. But it's not a dark story in the end. It's not. Now, yeah. I have one more question to ask you, but I'm not going to get to that yet because I've been thinking about you, Gail, for, ever since our little conversation on the Teferit Talks because you asked me a question that I've been thinking about ever since. I finally answered it for myself in a way that was incredibly Useful. So I want to share it with you because I didn't feel I like oh, gave it the yes. answer I wanted. You we were talking about confidence. Oh, I'm so eager to hear. Mm-hmm. Well, this was a good one. It was a really good question. It got me thinking. I always I love it when people give me. Well, I don't like it at the time because I like to have all the answers. But usually <laughs> the best questions are the ones I can't answer that I then go and think about and think about. So you would ask me about confidence, mm-hmm. and you were like, and you would you had framed confidence as sort of bravado, really, someone who comes in and sort of stands and says, I know what's right, and everybody listen to me, and, and it's kind of annoying, really. And you had kind of a somewhat negative connotation around it. And I thought, mm-hmm. I think what real confidence is. Here's what I believe confidence is, Gail, because I write with, okay. I want to write with confidence. But what I think mm-hmm. confidence is, is our awareness of our inherent equality, that confidence mm-hmm. is your awareness of, because of, when you know everybody's equal, I mean Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody, mm-hmm. everybody, everybody. There's no one's better, no one's worse. That's when the competition's over, and that's when you speak from your true self. And I always feel mm-hmm. that my best writing comes from that awareness that everybody has what it takes, everybody has a voice, everybody's life is valuable, everybody's equal. And so true confidence mm-hmm. is the expression of the awareness of our inherent equality. What do you think of that? That I love that. I think That's I think good, that makes sense. Yes, yes. That I totally understand that and resonate with that. And you know, as as a teacher, that's something I really try to bring across to my students is, you know, that all are worth sharing. All of our voices are important. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah. The truly confident person, when you're really resting in your confidence, you don't need to be better than anybody. You don't need to be above mm-hmm. anybody. And you mm-hmm. know you're right there with everybody. I'll tell you, it's a, it's a, I always say that the greatest discipline, if you, believe, if you want equality in the world, then you walk down the street and think, I'm not better or worse than anybody. Everybody, no matter how the old mm-hmm. they are, young they are, beautiful or ugly, whatever you think, you're no better or worse. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. And, and not being worse, I think that's harder for most people. That you're not worse than anybody, no matter who. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, oh, I love that. So there you go. So there's something to think about. But it was very helpful to me. So thank you for asking that question because it got me thinking in a way I oh. had before. And so now, yeah, and now I teach oh, it to wonderful. people. You see how helpful you are. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> so, but now my last question to you, my dear. 
although I think in yeah, some ways yeah. you've already answered, but I don't care. I'm going to ask it again, which is finish this sentence. <laughs> if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Oh, my gosh. It's taught me so much. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, oh, my goodness. That's a hard question to answer because I feel like it has taught me so much. And I think, you know, as we were just saying, it's uh, taught me that all of our stories matter, that all of our voices are important, that I think it's taught me that I have more courage than I knew. Um, And I love, um, in Brene Brown's TED Talk on vulnerability, she has this one quote that I love where she talks about the original definition of courage, meaning to tell your story with all your heart. Yeah. And oh, I wow. feel like, like um, you know, that resonates with me so much. And I think that writing this book definitely showed me I have more courage than I knew I did. I wasn't sure I'd be able to write this book. It felt so big and so scary. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, the more I write, it, it reminds me, too, of, like Walt Whitman saying, I am large, I contain multitudes, there's so much inside us. And I think that writing teaches me that over and over again, that that we have so many unplumbed depths inside of us that that writing can help us discover and release and play with. And, yeah. I agree. That's a good one. I think your imagination and your curiosity are portals to the infinite intelligence of the universe. I do. Yeah. Yeah. You just open that door and let it in. Mm-hmm. Well, as I suspected, Gail, it was a delight talking to you. This was great. You too. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. I really, really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And folks can, uh, so the book is, We've been talking The Art of Misdiagnosis, Surviving My Mother's Suicide. It's available where all fine books are sold. Uh, if they want to learn more about you, is it gailbrandeis.com? Is that the uh, – Yeah. Is that your web? Yeah, yeah? that's okay. – it is. And that, you know, you, there are links to all my social media places right. there. And, and you know, like Excellent. you said, too, I want to reiterate that even though this does cover dark stuff, I don't think it's a dark book. I think it's ultimately no, it's a very not. helpful book. And it's not a dark um, yeah. Memoir is literary fiction's spiritual and optimistic cousin. (laughs) I think. Mm, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's all. It's always almost almost every memoir I've read is about the light in the darkness. Yeah. And yours certainly was. And I think we both have to thank our good friend, Mr. R. J. Jeffries, for arranging this. Yes. Thank you so much. He's back there. Yes, and my right, wonderful Gail. producer as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we share that as well. Well, Gail, uh, I, if you ever make it to Seattle, I hope I get to actually meet you in person. Until then, just keep writing your courageously. I know you can do it. Thank you. Thank you. You right. too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Have courage, people. Courage to tell your story. Uh, I'll be back next week talking to somebody. I can't remember who. It doesn't matter. There'll be somebody fabulous. Until then, go do something you love. Tell a story you love. Be with someone you love. You'll just feel good.